Alrighty then, what's going on there, podcast people? Matthew Johnson here. Another episode of Dementia in Black and White. Just one step on the caregiver's journey. Taking care of my loved one with dementia, in this case, my mother. Today, I want to talk about using your strengths, relying upon the existing strengths you have as you do your caregiving duties. Sit back, relax, enjoy this episode of Dementia in Black and White. All right, all right, let's get into it. So I want to talk about on this week's episode, really just bringing in your existing skills because we all do things well, right? We might do things in our careers, our jobs, vocations, whatever that is for you that you think, well, that doesn't apply to my caregiving. Trust me when I tell you, if you ever take a look at the list of jobs that you do as a caregiver, it is voluminous. So finance, cooking, healthcare, driver, uh, you know, the, the list goes on of different roles that you have to play as a caregiver. And I would suspect that there are things there that you do well, that you probably are already doing in your life. And so I want to help draw that bridge in today's episode and just talk about my own experience in terms of how I was able to make a a crossover, an easy transition between some of the things that I do and have done in my, you know, real life, the life outside of being a caregiver that translated easily into the caregiver role. And so first I have a degree in accounting and I've been an auditor, you know, full time before. I'm not doing that type of work now, but been in that field before. And so transitioning over into taking care of my mother's finances was then pretty easy. I, you know, already have done budgeting for my own personal stuff, investing for my own personal stuff. So just adding her to the mix and, you know, kind of being in there for her financial POA power of attorney. Um, that role was easy to kind of just roll that in there and use that skill set, my background in finance to help out with that. I am a EEO counselor, equal employment opportunity counselor and a mediator. So I mediate EEO complaints and, you know, issues of conflict between people at the workplace so you would think, well, EEO counselor, how is that related to your mom? She's not filing an EEO complaint. So how does that relate? One of the key skills with being an EEO counselor is problem solving. It is listening to two sides of a story and then figuring out where the common interests are. And hopefully developing, helping them to develop some type of win-win situation. And so you can imagine when dealing with someone who has dementia, there are a lot of problems that are going to have to be solved in a particular day, right? And no, it's not workplace. No, it's not discrimination, even though she will sometimes allege that somebody did something to her, stole something from her. But 
it's about problem solving. And so that's the skill set I bring in with the mediation. It's a lot of listening that I have to do. I have to listen, not just to what people say, but what people are not saying. I have to pay attention to body language. I have to pay attention to context. And so when dealing with someone with dementia, absolutely, you have to do that all the time, I would say, because the individual's brain is not necessarily conveying exactly the message they want to convey. And you have to interpret where they are, what context they're coming from. And it, again, is usually something that they're not saying. For example, if they're asking about a loved one of theirs, my mother asked for my brother, her brother, I'm sorry, my uncle a lot. And it is, you know, as if he's here in the house and he died, you know, 20 years ago. And so when those things happen, in my mind, I go back to my mediator role. And I just listen and listen and I'll ask questions, you know, what, what makes you think about him now? I don't say he's dead and died 20 years ago. I don't want to have a person grieve over and over again because she asks over and over again. But I find out what is it that she's really seeking. So just like with a discrimination complaint, someone will come in and say, yeah, I've been discriminated against based on my race when I wasn't, you know, treated fairly in this whatever, this condition. But really, once I start to dig and ask questions, I find out that the person is having a communication issue with the supervisor and something happened maybe a year ago that's causing them to see this particular incident as an allegation of discrimination. Whereas if I could get to the bottom of it and heal the communication issue, then we can heal the relationship. Same thing with someone with dementia. If I can find out what it is that she's, you know, if she's feeling like that brother, for example, and this is what I learned from asking questions and having her tell me more was that he would protect her. He would be the one if she you know, got in trouble at school or whatever, he would, you know, big brother come in and save the day type of thing. So if she's thinking about him, then maybe right now she's feeling unsafe or she's feeling alone. And so then I know to try to address those things. Well, mom, I'm here. I'm here now. I can take care of you. I'll make sure that you're going to be safe and nothing's going to happen to you. Even though she doesn't say that, she doesn't come out and say, you know, I feel unsafe or insecure. But the fact that you're asking about this brother who you saw as a protector, you know, I just put those things together through listening, paying attention to context. So, again, you think EEO mediator yeah, it ain't got nothing to do with taking care of your mom. Yeah, it, it does. It relates indirectly. Back in the day, back in the day, I used to do improv comedy and, you know, actually did a little bit of stand up comedy too. just never, of course, made it anywhere big because you don't know me. So, so obviously I didn't make it. But improv comedy and really any improv training and if you have that in acting or the comedy, whatever, definitely relates to taking care of someone with dementia, with improv, you cannot deny where your partner, your scene partner is taking the scene. You don't necessarily know where they're taking the scene, but you can't deny them. You have to take what they give you and then add to it and build the scene from there. That's one of the kind of foundations of improv comedy. 
even if you're not clear. I remember one time I was doing a show was down in Alexandria, Virginia, in some club somewhere. And the, you know, they get like a scene or a genre from the audience and people start shouting out stuff. And the thing was, our scene was a spaghetti western in some place or whatever. A grocery store, I think, I don't know, I can't remember exactly where, but that spaghetti western sticks out because at the time, and even still today, I didn't know what a spaghetti western was. So even though they threw that out, I'm on stage, got the lights going. You can't just say, I don't know what that is. You got to just go with it. So, you know, I start talking in my cowboy swing right there and said, now, listen here, pilgrim. And then I pulled my pants up real high. So, I, you know, relied on physical comedy because I didn't really know what the spaghetti western meant or whatever. And just made the scene work from there. Again, it's about making people laugh. Same thing for a person with dementia. They're going to throw things at you. There's nothing scripted. Even you might, and I do, have a plan for the day. And maybe one podcast, I'll go through through what the plan is. But you may have a plan for the day. But trust me when I tell you, your loved one got their own improv skit that they want to do for the day. And you have to take that and you have to be able to run with that. So having that background and skill set and really just kind of, you know, liking to be in a position of making people laugh, loving to see when my mother laughs at something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then another thing that I like to do is not a job that I've ever had, but playing games. Used to like to play spades as a youngster, tunk, card game, poker what I play now. So, you know, just always been into even Monopoly and those types of games, always been into that. Applying that to the caregiver situation, whatever your hobbies are, the things that you enjoy doing. And again, that could be knitting or whatever, doing puzzles, whatever. All of these things, you already enjoy doing that. Bring your loved one into that. And either do that, find out something that they used to do. Just started doing this duck pin bowling with water bottles and a little rubber ball. You know, I used to like to bowl, too, as a matter of fact. So just these types of fun activities that are, you know, game, gamified, whatever. Having competition, she still will get down with the competition. You know, she we keep score, but she doesn't, of course, remember anything about me beating her this last week. But. In either case, when it happens, she enjoys it. It's physical. She's up and down. You know, there's no automatic ball return. So she has to go and get her ball or I'll, you know, reset the pins. But I let her kind of come back and forth and do all that. So it gets exercise in there as well. So even if it's a hobby, not necessarily what you've done as your work or vocation, think about all of those. So if you are a cook for a restaurant, certainly easily transition that into planning some meals. And, you know, maybe here you have to think about the dietary needs, if there are anything that's related to no sugar or no salt or, you know, these types of things. So meal planning would probably come easy to you. Uh, if you're in the healthcare field, certainly there are so many things you can think about there in terms of making the house, you know, more like, way a health care facility in some ways in terms of, you know, shower grab bars or a shower seat, those things you might be familiar with from working in that setting. But I, I will say that it is not an automatic, by the way, that someone who is in a healthcare field will necessarily have 
knowledge of taking care of someone with dementia just because it is a completely different situation. I mean, you're fully emerged in this world as a caregiver, whereas even if you may have been, uh, you know, a nurse, for example, if you were a nurse that was not dealing with the population of people with dementia or Alzheimer's, the chances are real good. The things will be, there'll be a lot of new things for you as a caregiver. However, again, the things that are be, there will be many things that will transfer. You know, of course, you'll be able to know and see and pay attention to things, uh, physical distress or, you know, maybe even mental distress. Who knows? Those types of things may come easy to you. So in either case, just think about whatever it is you do. Trust me when I tell you, think about whatever the skill set is that goes to the job, not necessarily the task that you perform, but what skills are necessary patience, listening, communication, um, again, you know, knowledge of particular things, law, certainly if you're a lawyer, the power of attorney stuff uh, might come to you easier. You might be able to know someone in the field who can help you. Healthcare, you know, all of these things, whatever you do, whatever it is, it can relate. Pull that in, rely on that. And then I'll just add this last tip onto this one. Don't be afraid to delegate. So maybe your job is a manager. You're some type of manager in something, a property manager for real estate or whatever. And so your job is not to necessarily go out and do the legwork in terms of, you know, fixing property or maintenance or that type of thing. But you have to find someone to do it. You have to delegate. You have to get a team together. You have to manage a project. Those types of skills, certainly project management skills, is an excellent skill set for being a caregiver because you should be in the mindset of who can I get to do this? Don't think that you have to do it all. Find out something that you do well. Focus on that. Then find out where the other people around you might be able to assist and rely on those people to bring their skills set to bear on the situation. Because that is another way to avoid the burnout, to avoid getting to the point of just not realizing the stress as it builds up one grain of rice at a time until next thing you know, you're under a 50 pound bag of rice, right? So you don't want that. All right, that music means that it is time to go. <laughs> That's another week in the bag. Dementia in black and white. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. And just to kind of summarize, relying on your strengths, pay attention to whatever those things are that you already do and bring that into the caregiving situation. Rely on those strengths to make your caregiving job just a little bit easier. All right, thank you again for listening, folks. Until next time, take care of your loved ones. Absolutely, that's a focus. But before that, your primary focus should be taking care of yourself so that you can last as long as they last. I'm out.